0: Lord, thank you for your goodness, your grace, for the opportunity to come and study your word. I pray that you would help us to know you better through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today actually will be um, just me talking, and it'll be, we won't be here the entire hour, unless you guys have a whole bunch of questions, and then, you know, we will be. Um, it's a lot of, like, con- like, content heavy, and, you know, there's only so much the old brain can take in. Um, and so we're going to look at some talking about we're going to talk about the date of the exodus and kind of the historical context um, of the exodus all right so this like you can't see it as well as i had hoped Um, but this is just um, the empires with ancient and modern boundaries okay so if you see right can you guys see egypt i know it's really hard to tell i'm sorry is it possible to Yeah, look at the maps in the back of your Bible. All right, so the point of this, or the point that I want to make in showing you all of this, okay, is you have Egypt down here, like right in the middle, okay? And then just next to it, you have Israel. And then up over toward the right, you see like Iran, um, Iraq, Iran. That is like, you know, Iran is um, basically the Persian Empire, um, the ancient Persian Empire, and then Iraq is basically ancient Babylonia, okay? All right, and so you have, like, these—let me see what the next map is. These three major empires in the ancient Near East, Babylon, Assyria, and Egypt. And then you have um, Israel, like, right in the middle of those guys, okay? And so, you see, there's these kind of—the major powers, Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, okay? Okay? And this, Israel is on this, like, uh, it's called the Via Maris. It's like a trade, a common trade route in the ancient Near East. And so people need to go through that area a lot, all right? <clears throat> this is the map showing um, Jacob's and the 12 sons coming into um, Egypt, okay? This is, like, kind of the route that they would have taken you see the big peninsula there, that is like the Sinai Peninsula. It's where they would have spent wandering around in the wilderness um, after what we're gonna talk about here. But you see they went from what is what is now like a Jerusalem, that area, really far all the way over into Egypt. All right, here's another map of the route that the Exodus took. So the red line there, you see they go from Egypt and remember and Lower Egypt is in the north. And Upper Egypt is in the south. Okay, so it's called Lower Egypt because it's a lower elevation. Upper Egypt because it's a higher elevation. Lower Egypt lower. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Upper Egypt is south. because of the And so the Nile flows, you know, back, well, yeah. Not backwards, but backwards. Downhill, yeah. All right, so you see they would have gone <clears throat> into the Sinai Peninsula, basically like in this big... Wilderness, desert area, and wandered around there forever. Well, for 40 years at least. And then come up this way. Okay. And then here is just a different map showing that same thing. What? Oh. (laughs) Circling and circling. Like the bat, you guys know that song with Will Ferrell, Bat Fight? Anybody? Google it when you get home. Britain knows it bat fight. OK, so um, hopefully, like, that kind of orients us a little bit. Um, basically, there's just this mass stretch of land, um, where that map is like pretty useless, I'm sorry. There's just like this mass stretch of land um, with Israel pretty much at the center between these competing world empires and at like right in the middle of this popular trade route. Okay, so that's important um, for le- later biblical history too. The Hyksos period. Okay, so Hyksos are an um, ethnic group. They're a Semitic ethnic group. So the um, Israelites are a Semitic group. The Hyksos are a Semitic group. Okay, so just like some very basic, big picture, like stereotypical things. Um, you know, you remember in or the end of Egypt when the... Um, people of israel come into uh pharaoh come into uh egypt and pharaoh's like ends up putting them in goshen um and keeps them separate from the the egyptians because he says they're shepherds and we don't like shepherds you know so um egyptians have all shaved bodies you know shaved heads shaved eyebrows everything you i'm sure i've seen pictures of ancient egyptians um whereas the israelites have like you know the full beards and all they look like glenn versus clark essentially like there we go. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Thank you. So that's why when when uh, Joseph is brought up out of out of prison, they're like, okay, we got to get you, you know, fixed up for the king because it would have been bad for him, hey, to go into um, the king's presence like looking like an Israelite or a Hebrew at that time. Okay. So the Hyksos are a Semitic people group in 1650 to 1550 they end up taking over Egypt, okay? And this is like really broad strokes here, all right? And this matters because it sets us up for what Pharaoh is gonna do, all right? Um, So they take over Lower Egypt. Remember, that's in the northern part um, for about 100 years. And this creates, like broadly broadly speaking, I'm sure not every Egyptian hated every Semitic person, um, but broadly speaking, this creates a lot of enmity, right? Because you have a um, native group the Egyptians, are taken over by a conquering group and then subjugated, you know? What do you mean by the Hyksos are Semitic? Group? They're Semitic, like they're... So they're Semitic. I they're anti-Semite, but yet they're Semitic. What? I, I don't The Hy... The, um, Hi- the, okay, Hi- the Hyksos group is Semitic. Mm-hmm. The Hyksos period is when they took over Egypt. Egypt. No. Wait, so trying, okay. You're getting ahead oh, of me. Yes. But the Israelites are mm-hmm. Before the Israelites, yeah. they get overthrown, the get kicked, get, up, get kicked out. They get kicked out, yeah. Oh, the got kicked out. Right. Okay. So this is helping us, ex- I'm trying to help... Uh, explain the socio political issues that that might have that might have created a climate in which this new pharaoh wanted to subjugate Israel because there's this like there's this um anti Semitic kind of under current okay. because of the Hyksos rule of Egypt for a hundred years. Oh, okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Everybody tracking? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, this period of subjugation put Egypt, and this is, like, this is like the worst way to do a PowerPoint, FYI, like if you're ever in a class and they want you to do a PowerPoint, don't do it like this, um, because it's just a bunch of text on the screen. Um, the policy that resulted because of that are regular campaigns to subjugate uh, Canaanite people, all right? So, Canaanite people are, as you would expect, in the land of Canaan, you know, up there on the right. So, you have Egyptians and you have all of these Canaanites over here. Think of, like, Canaanite, um, think of, like, tribal groups. Not, like, nations necessarily, but, like, tribal groups that would control various um, geographies, pieces of geography, like, but small. Not, not, don't think like United States, think like Delaware, or smaller than that even. I mean, so you have Grant Parish, yeah. Um, you have the Egyptians, they're, Having, they're subjugating these various Canaanite people groups. Remember, this is prime real estate in terms of trade. Okay? So the issue so because of this Semitic people over here on the right, come in at some point, right, 1650 to 1550, they conquer Egypt, they take over Egypt. Egypt, Egyptians revolt, take back over power, and then they begin subjugating Canaanite people groups. I don't know. Yeah, they're like a... Uh, there's They're a kind of... Uh, since it's like on Facebook Live, I don't want to, you know, speak too much that I don't know about. But um, they're like essentially this uh, nomadic group that kind of comes in and just settles in Egypt. Okay. <clears throat> and they begin conscripting Semites into slave labor, okay? So you have... Regular campaigns as a result of of the Egyptians for a 100 years being subjected to the Hyksos. This kind of group, also a group of people who are Semitic. Now the new foreign policy is to take over Canaanite groups and then also to sp- set them into slavery. Okay. So that kind of gives us the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not like, you know, personal revenge, but you know like this and like the cultures are yeah 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 the cultures are like vastly different you know what i mean so it would have been like easy to see like who's who you know and and it was like uh the hicksaws are taking over and imposing one culture on this group and then they rise up and say well you know we're not gonna take on that culture anymore does that make sense so yeah there is this like kind of element of revenge there Well, they'd be descendants of Shim, I guess. Yeah, so ultimately, and like Semites. The the end, after, uh, died, power. Okay, so that's when the. Okay, so this this uh, this is before, prior? prior to that, yeah. And so then the there's two different um, dates for the Exodus. Okay, the late date, and then I'll just thirteen twenty to twelve twenty. And then the early date, which is not up there. Uh, oh, yeah, 1447 to 1446, okay? So the biblical narrative has the early date, okay? So this is fifth early or mid-1500s BC, okay? So this would be, if we follow the um, the biblical um, dating of the, of the Exodus, this is like right after the Hyksos, like 75 years, okay? So just when there's this transition... And then all of a sudden they realize, oh man, we have all these Semitic people here. They keep growing in number. We need to kill all their babies, right? So that kind of explains the, the Hyksos rule explains the um, tension or the, the Pharaoh's fear of having this happen again as the Hebrew people keep getting stronger and stronger and bigger and bigger. So early date. So yeah, any other questions about the sauce? I'm not an expert, but it just helps, I think, to explain some of the cultural issues. Okay, late date. So this was like what most people will, like most biblical scholars will argue for a late date. Some, pretty much all... um, Yes. We got it. Hi Bethany. Hi Bethany. Hi Bethany. Will's doing it. Britt <laughs> was watching it on Facebook live probably. Yeah, Yeah. Oh really? Okay. Is that okay? Will you ask her if that's okay? Is that good? The volume? Is the volume good for that, Bethany? Bethany? <laughs> I mean, like that. Kara's like staring at me with no response. It's like I was talking to my kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Okay, so late date, early date, Exodus, okay? So the, um, okay. We'll talk, uh, the the late date is what most, like, if you're, like, turn on the Discovery Channel, they're either going to say, A, the Exodus never happened, or B, um, it happened at a later date, okay? So before, like, speaking to the issue of this, the Exodus never happened, people will say, well, we have all these Egyptian records and no record of um, an Exodus or anything like that, 10 plagues, nothing like that. One thing we need to understand about these historical records, the Bible as an ancient document, is very unique in recording, like, really bad stuff that its own people did, okay? So most ancient histories um, will whitewash everything. So I think of, um, I grew up in Arkansas, and I can remember in history enough class, enough said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can remember um, learning, like, from my teacher being taught that slavery wasn't that bad, and that slaves were well provided for, Right? There, it wasn't so bad because they were taken care of by their masters, all right? This is totally fiction, right? Totally false. Um, in the same way, the ruling people, the Egyptians in this case, they, the um, pharaohs, when they're... Um, you got to remember, most people don't write. Like, the vast majority of people don't write. So, the, um, oftentimes, these um, histories are from the perspective of the king. And so, they are mostly... Propagandistic, you know, so they're written from a particular perspective to show how great and wonderful and powerful and mighty that king is. Whether it's an Egyptian king, a Syrian king, a Babylonian king, they're writing to say that they're better than everyone, you know. So we have um, in, I think it's the. I can't remember the document. Um, I think it's the Babylonian Chronicles. It talks about um, one of the Israelite kings like being caged, caged up like a bird in a cage. Um, and it's talking about the siege of Jerusalem and how this king um, had the Israelite king all surrounded. And the, that confirms the biblical portrait. But it's, But you wouldn't have that same Babylonian Chronicle saying yeah, we like got really beat up by whatever, you know? Um, So it's not, like I understand the argument saying, well, there's no record of it in Egyptian documents, you know, or Egyptian hieroglyphs or whatever. But one, it's an argument from silence. Two, it would be highly, highly, highly unlikely for a royal propaganda machine to come out and say like, oh yeah, we (laughs) we ran into the middle of a sea And then the waters came crashing down and killed everyone, you know. It's not going to happen. After we let millions of our slaves go. go. Yes, exactly. Um, Okay, so then there's a lot more that can be said about that, but that's kind of like the basic, you know, three-minute how it responds um, to this idea that there's not an exodus. Um, The late date of the exodus, 1320 to 1220, the argument for this is that the store cities so all of these cities that Exodus says are, that the people are um, building things in, those are from a later period, okay? So the, um, they reflect a later date. That's what this argument says. Um, Genesis 47, 1, that's, I didn't bring my Bible. Huh. I don't think I have one in my bag or anything. Good thing I have it hidden in my heart. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in Goshen. Okay, so this term, this Goshen term in talking about is used in later text okay also all right it could be used retrospectively or it could have a prior history just like pharaohs before ramses were called ramses okay um evidence for building at pi ramses is earlier than the um date for ramses the second so like the late date of exodus is typically attached to ramses the second all right and so this argument says well that's not, I mean, it comes from an earlier time than Ramses II. Okay, surface surveys, Transjordan say that there's no settled population there. Okay, so 19th to 13th century, they're saying, look, there are no settled populations in this area that Israel would have conquered. So it's saying in the late, the early date for the Exodus is not possible because there were no cities to be conquered, if that makes sense. That's how this argument goes. Um later work has shown them to be these surveys to be incorrect. Uh, 32 sites have been found that were inhabited during the 15th century. So basically the argument that there weren't any cities there that were inhabited during the period that the exodus was, exodus was supposed to have happened that evidence is contradicted by later, you know, excavations and archaeological work, okay? And destruction that's previously attributed to the Egyptians should actually be attributed to Israelites. And so all this is like a bunch of like really brief overview of the arguments saying, so basically like a bunch of people say it's impossible for it to have been an early date. Um, These other people say it's it's not, it is possible for there to be an early date. And ultimately, I mean, the question comes down to so are we going to believe what First Kings six one says, you know? I'll read that. So this is where we get the early date for the Exodus. In the four hundred and eightieth year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. Okay, so that passage is where we come, where the idea comes from that you know we can date Solomon's building this temple. It's like we can date the beginning of the construction of the temple and say, okay, four hundred eighty years after that. Some people will say, look, um, this is a you know. Uh, read a book, was reading a book today called Epic of Eden, um, and she says these are stylized numbers, you know, where you have 12 number of tribes. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you know her? Uh, I got her cousin in it. Okay. Basically, you know her. Yeah, we're like best friends. Best friends, yeah. (laughs) She's probably watching this right now. Okay. (laughs) Length of a generation is 40 years and you have 12 tribes, okay? So, this could be like a stylized number. Um, And the way... I, you know, I don't think that saying um, there's, I don't think there's a contradiction in saying 480 years, okay? Because um, the way I explain kind of dating and stuff to my students, not like dating, but this type of dating, um, is you can say, I could say like, um, okay, huh? Exactly, no. This is uh, actually one of the funny things that Britt and I um, argue about is I'll say like, oh, uh, we met a decade ago. And she's like, no, we didn't. We met 10 years, seven months, six, you know. And so, like, to her, if I say we met a decade ago, it's maybe not lying, but it's not being accurate, okay? So she takes issue when I use these, like, round general numbers. I'm not lying to say that we met a decade ago. We really did meet a decade ago. It wasn't literally exactly one decade ago, but my intention is not to give this exact moment, you know. Now, if I was saying, writing a book that said, you know, uh, I don't know. if If my intent was to give the exact day and then I gave a different day, that would be wrong, you know. And so it's saying, so the fact that it says 480 years ago, may not necessarily be, they may not be intending to be absolutely 100% exact in the same way that we would like it to be, you know, because 12 is the number of tribes of Israel, 40 is a generation, so you can kind of easily come up with this idea of 480 years, like maybe it was 482, maybe it was 490, um, but the point is that it's been a long time, it's been 12 generations since they've been out of Egypt, and now um, Solomon is building this temple. Does that make sense? Okay, all of that to say, like at the end of the day, um, you know, early date, late date, I think what matters um, for biblical history and for our understanding of who God is is that there was an exodus. Absolutely, 100%, there was an exodus. God did lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. God did part the Red Sea. There were plagues, you know, and so uh, one of the things that, When we start talking about the plagues, they're like all these, and and crossing the Red Sea, they're like, I'm sure maybe you guys have seen all of these explanations for how the plagues could have happened. You know, like, oh, well, this monsoon came in and rained frogs down. That, like, misses the whole point entirely. The point is that God miraculously took a people, led them out of slavery, did a bunch of crazy things like dropping frogs and turning rivers and seas into blood, And then led them, you know, ultimately into the promised land. Like, that's a miraculous work that only God could do. Like, that's the point, you know. And so, to try to come up with, like, all these explanations that make a scientific way that it could be true, like, the whole point is that it's a miracle. You know, it's something that only God could do. Okay. Now, any questions? That's like a broad overview of the what's going on in the time frame. We have the Hyksos, we have The, um, I, I take an early date for the book of Exodus because I think the, um, I, I think that the Bible is clear, you know, and it's, I think that the 480 years is about 480 years. Um, and I think that the, um, Hyksos rule and then overthrow provides a really good explanation for why Pharaoh would want so badly to kill all the Israelites, um, Any questions about kind of the background stuff? And as we go through more of Exodus texts, we'll look at other historical context issues. Okay. I'm sorry for how boring it is tonight. Typology. The reason I want to talk about typology is because it's really important for um, the book of Exodus. Okay? When Throughout the after this after this event after this happens the exodus happens for the rest of the Bible God will say something like some some example of I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and that is like one of the defining like statements of who Israel is and he'll say it over and over and over and over and when we get to when we get to there maybe I'll let Ali talk on um, suzerain vassal treaties Um, and this is like a really common genre, where you have what's called a, a suzerain, um, which is like an overlord or a king, creates a treaty with a vassal, which would be like an under, like an underling, you know. And there's something called the historical prologue. And the historical prologue gives the reason why the suzerain or the overlord can make a treaty with a vassal. And throughout, throughout Exodus and throughout the rest of the Old Testament, Yahweh is going to say over and over again, "I brought you out of Egypt, and that is why he he has the right and the power and authority to make this covenant with them okay he 's saying, "I did this for you that 's what gives me this this authority. You know One of my um, professors in seminary would tell the story of whenever he was a kid, he um, broke his leg, and his mom, like they were like super poor, grew up in Alabama and just like rural Alabama, didn't have any money, didn't have a car, or anything like that. He broke his leg and his mom carried him to the bus stop and then, you know, the, took him on the bus to the hospital. And he said it was like awesome that she helped him out like that. But for the rest of his life, he has had to listen to his mom say, remember when you broke your leg and I carried you all the way down to the bus stop? And so, you know, she was using that to say, look, I... You broke your leg, and I carried you to the bus stop, all right? It's kind of like saying my, uh, you know, my mom would say, I brought you into the world, and I can yeah. take you out. You know, like this, this statement of authority, like I did this for you. Like this is what the Lord is going to be saying. I brought you out of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, this, 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 and this. Okay. So, Typology. All this relates to typology, because Exodus is kind of a monumental turning point in the history of Israel and the history of God's people as a whole. Remember we talked about how um, we, you know, last week Will came up to me afterward and said, next time I teach on Exodus, I have to talk about Exodus. So um, we talked about how God brought um, his people up, you know, out of, uh, now I'm like, now I'm like lost my train of thought. Thanks. Um, Exodus is this turning point, okay, where God starts to, like, reveals how he's going to be dealing with God's people. So we have Genesis 3.15, this promise of the head crusher, right? Um, It's not Noah, it's not Abraham, it's not Isaac, Jacob, or um, Jacob's 12 sons, and it's not going to be Joseph. Um, Joseph dies, and so is it going to be Moses? Ultimately, no, it's not going to be Moses, but This exodus event becomes a type, okay, or an event or person in one area of redemptive history. That's how do we get from Genesis 3.15? How do we get from Eden to Eden back, you know? One era of redemptive history that has a specific parallel in another era of redemptive redemptive history. So the reason I want us to understand this part, this like theological term, is because Moses is a type. And Israel is a type. And so when we get to the New Testament, we're going to be compared. We're going to see these comparisons between the church and Israel. We're going to see these comparisons between Moses and um, Jesus. We're going to see comparisons between the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. So what God does in Exodus is foundational for Israel and for the rest of redemptive history as a whole, right? And, you know, at West, we're talking about, um, you know, how we how we can read and apply Exodus from the perspective of us leading others out. You know, like we are, Moses was a mediator. Christ is the ultimate mediator between God and man. And he's made us Christians uh, priests, right? So we mediate the gospel. You know, like obviously we don't, like there is no one between humans and God except Christ himself. But at the same time, we are a kingdom of priests who do share the gospel, and show people what it means to live in relationship with God. And it all started back here in Exodus, when God brought the people up out of Egypt and said, you are a kingdom of priests, I want you to show the world what it means to live in relationship with me. Ultimately, they weren't able to, and then, you know, we get to the church. So, this typology, it's going to be important to understand that through the book of Exodus, there are several things that happen. Obviously, the Passover that are pointing forward to something bigger and better and way more awesome. Exodus is filled with it. The tabernacle, right, is, is a type of, of how we live in a relationship with God. Remember we talked about, I think we talked about this last week, but you have the tabernacle is the second half of Exodus, and you have God's presence in Eden. We can't live in God's presence anymore. The tabernacle comes down, God's presence dwells there, Okay? But still, you can't really get into God's presence yet until the temple, same thing. Jesus comes, and the New Testament says he tabernacled among us. It uses the same word as for this tabernacle that we're going to talk about. And then now the Holy Spirit dwells in us a tabernacle, right? And so, what we read in Exodus about the tabernacle, all of those really boring, um, like 16 chapters of detailed instructions for how to build a tent are really important for how we understand the fact that Christ has redeemed us and now God's presence can live within us. Same way, how we understand Moses as leading the people out of Egypt will will impact how we understand Christ. How we understand what the exodus is, the exodus event from slavery will will help us understand better how what Jesus does in his death and resurrection, all right? So I want us to keep in mind this concept of a type, or typology. You know, we have the imperfect in the Old Testament giving way to the perfect in the New Testament, okay? So throughout Exodus, as you're reading this book, I hope you're reading it, as you're reading it, be thinking about, okay, how is this pointing forward to a greater fulfillment? It's not just stories about long dead people. It's our story, right, that we are living today, now, all right? Any questions about type? It's not a symbol. It's a principle of limited fulfillment. By that, by limited fulfillment, I just mean it's a way of saying something was partially fulfilled, right? There was a partial experience of God's presence. There was a partial deliverance from sin, and yet there will be a full deliverance in Christ. There's a full experience of God's presence in Christ as as we, as the Spirit dwells within us, Does that make sense? Okay. Oh, there we go. I guess I got ahead of myself. All right, the law, and then we will, yeah, that's, we'll finish up a little early tonight, but the law, the last thing I want to mention as, and we're still like, I know like this is a six-week class. And I took like two weeks to kind of lay the framework, you know, but the next four weeks we're going to, are going to be broken up into kind of chunks. Um, We'll do Exodus. uh, Let's see how I had it. Um, Sorry. Exodus one through four. We'll talk about next week. And then after that, we're going to talk about um, five through 15, 15 through 24. that three or four three and then 24 through 40 okay so we'll have like four big chunks of the book of exodus from here on out okay the giving of the law is also something that we're going to talk about um we'll talk about this in more detail when we get there um but this also I, i can't stress enough how this is an element of grace like of course um you know the paul has a lot to say about the law but these laws are what made it possible for the tabernacle to dwell right That's what made it possible for God's presence to be among the people and them not die. Christ fulfilling these laws is what made it possible for us to have the Spirit within us. Otherwise, we'd be dead, right? But when the Father looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness, all of those things. All right. Jesus fine-tunes the law. Okay, what I mean by that is he demonstrates it's true intent, right? So when we get to Matthew 5, um, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, And so, what happened in kind of the big scope of biblical history is you have the law given at Sinai, and the people told basically, you know, kind of if you want to break it down into three things, um, how to live in right relationship with God meant loving God and loving each other. Say two things, you know, that's what Jesus said. The whole law comes down to these things love God, love your neighbor. Obviously, that doesn't happen. You know, this is where you talked about the, the, tab- the temple being built with Solomon. We have the tabernacle, then the temple, then the um, nation of Israel is divided into two in like the, you know, 900s B.C. And the northern kingdom, Israel, is taken off into captivity. The southern kingdom, Judah, 100 years later, is also taken off into captivity. And then you have this class of people, the Pharisees, the proto-Pharisees, the people who came, came before the Pharisees, start saying, okay, the reason we we're kicked out of Israel, the reason we left the land, okay, so God's presence is dwelling in the land at this point. The reason God's, they were, the people of Israel were kicked out, and the glory of God left the temple in Ezekiel, there's, is because they didn't keep the law, Okay? And so then you have these people saying, okay, if we have to keep the law. So if the law says not to um, not to commit adultery, I'm not even I'm not going to watch rated R movies because rated R movies might tempt me to commit adultery. Okay, so there's law, no law that says don't watch rated R movies. But the Pharisees pull that out and say. Well, don't watch rated R movies because that keeps you from breaking this law about not committing adultery. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm promised I'm gonna like bring this all together. And so when Jesus comes along and he is like demonstrating this true intent of the law, he's speaking against a culture that has added all of these other laws onto the law, added all of these other things, all these other requirements in order to try to protect the people of Israel as a whole from going into exile again, but they missed the true intent. So they said, so watching rated R movies became a law, if that makes sense. So watching rated R movies and avoiding secular music, those things might cause you to sin, so you can't do those either. And then if you do those, it's, they make it like the same thing as if you're sinning. So they're adding these outward regulations onto the law, and Jesus comes along and says, the true intent of the law, do not commit adultery, is that you like, don't even have lust in your heart. You know? He's saying, the true issue is the heart, whereas the Pharisees said, the true issue is all of these outward things. If I don't watch rated R movies, and if I don't listen to secular music, then I'm not gonna commit adultery, okay? Jesus says, no, the true intent of the law is that you have a pure heart. So, does that make sense? Jesus is coming along and saying, illustrating for us what it really means to live in right relationship with God, which is a heart issue. Don't murder your brother is like, don't be angry with your brother. Don't call him a fool. Don't lust is, you know, don't commit adultery is don't even lust after a woman in your heart. So we get this foundation in the book of Exodus and Leviticus of, and then in Deuteronomy, of these requirements that God has made, so that we could live in His presence, and then Jesus comes along and helps us understand. Oh, yeah! It's not the fact that I have to check off these boxes. Instead, I have to have a pure heart before God. Love God. Love my neighbor. Um, and then Jesus is what makes that ha- happen. He's what makes that. He's what makes that possible. Okay. Any questions about? Michelle, yeah. we're all going to end up in exile because you listen to secular music. Yeah. Okay, so I hope this helps set us up for, um, there, are these, there are these cultural, political issues going on in Egypt that kind of set the perfect storm for this new pharaoh to want to kill all the, kill everyone and then to enslave the israelites and then for god to lead them out it's pretty cool really to see god's sovereignty in that you take all of these things that are like really bad and it sets up this most one of the most momentous incredible miracles that ever happened in history that helps us to better understand who jesus is right so you have this stuff going on and then The typology piece is really important for understanding for how we read the book of Exodus. It's not just recording these events that happened. It's showing us how to understand Jesus better and how to understand who we are better. And so next week, we'll look at Exodus 1 through 4. Read Exodus 1 through 4, please. And then 5 through 15, 15 through 25, and then 26 through 40. All right. How long were they in 420, years In slavery. Mm -hmm. Like 400 something, 400-ish, I'm not sure exactly. So you get back then to about 1850 for Jacob's bunch coming out of Canaan. Yes. 400 years, right? Yeah. You know, so the Lord says, Abraham, like your people aren't going to, he has that real dark dream. And the Lord says, Your people are going to be enslaved for 400 years, or in Egypt for 400 years, while the sin of the Canaanites runs its course. And then he uses Israel to punish or to bring judgment on the Canaanites for their sin. Um, Did the take over, like, right. What do you mean the control part? Huh? Yeah. So there were two at different times. Did what? Did they take over, like, Washington, D.C. Oh, Washington, oh, Washington D.C. Yes. Yeah. Hey, awesome. Yeah, when we get to the plagues, so I'll okay. talk about that stuff. I mean, I know I know, but I'm just, now I'm just kind of going. Like, I mean, anytime this stuff happens, I have all these other, like, a thousand other questions, those questions get answered, and then I have more questions, so I'm sorry. That's where I go, where it goes. So That's okay. I'll probably write a 500-page paper, paper It's a good idea. To, just, just, like, yeah, Daniel. Uh, In Egypt? Yeah. So they didn't see that, like, I mean, it wasn't presented, it's not presented in the Bible as like punishment for Israel. It's just like, what happened? Yeah. So they weren't viewing it as a book of law, so it was In Egypt, like Yeah, the exile was many, many years later. Yeah. I mean, they took a, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, they would have if they're in Upper Egypt. Or Lower Egypt, I mean. Okay, Will, do you want to pray for us? Or Glenn, do you want to thumb wrestle? Let's see your praise.